Hi there. My name is Gary, and I'm one of the pastors here at Westview. Phew! It seems like it's been almost a year in the making, and uh, this is the first time I'm actually saying that sentence, and uh, it's pretty phenomenal. And before I go any further, I want to just say uh, a big thank you to all of you for your generosity and kindness uh, that we have felt as we have transitioned provinces and churches and communities. Uh, we received some gift baskets from you all, and we're so thankful for that. And uh, some of you have already been connecting with us, and so we're very grateful, both Kimberly and I. And uh, we look forward to uh, meeting with you uh, in person, and we believe that will be a time coming soon. Uh, I know I met with uh, the teens and young adults and seniors and, and the people in between uh, over video, but that's just not the same. And so I look forward to connecting with you uh, in different ways. And we're going to get creative over the summer um, and then uh, hopefully uh, maybe some more sort of conventional ways uh, once the fall starts and, and into uh, the late fall. Well, uh, having said that, uh, I had said in an earlier video that I long for the opportunity to share communion with you. And as the Lord would have it, the first sermon that I'm preaching here at Westview this Sunday morning is Communion Sunday. And communion is a bit strange, isn't it? I mean, when you think about it, especially if you look at it through the lens of a friend or family member who is not a regular uh, churchgoer, a regular uh, worship service attender. You know, carved on the front of our communion table are these words, do this in remembrance of me. But why? Why do we participate in this uh, celebratory act of remembrance. You know, memory is a, a funny thing. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I bought uh, this little jump drive. And uh, it is 64 gigs of memory. 64 gigs of memory, massive memory on a little tiny device. And I think I paid, I went to Memory Express and I think I paid like $14 or $15. Human memory is vastly more complex than this. Even though, I mean, this is very impressive. Uh, my dad is a nonagenarian. And uh, he tells me that his forgetter is getting better all the time. Apparently, when you get into your 80s and 90s, it is more difficult to remember what you had for breakfast, but you can still remember the first date you went on or the first car that you rode in. And when it comes to the memory of teenagers or young adults, well, that's a whole nother ballgame. And I realize I'm generalizing here now a little bit, but it seems to me that, uh, well, teenagers, it seems like you can maybe forget about homework, to do the homework, or maybe you could forget about calling uh, home or letting us know when you're going to be uh, uh, late or something, or maybe you can even forget to put gas in the car. But you certainly remember when 
we mess up. I know my uh, daughters can certainly remember the times when I mess up or when I make a promise. Or you can remember in a heartbeat when your friend's party starts. So as it turns out, maybe our human memory is actually a little more similar to this computer memory than we might have initially thought. See, the thing is, when it comes to human memory, we store information, and then we retrieve that information. And when we retrieve it, we are also at the same time interpreting that information and inscribing it into our life, applying it. That act of retrieving and interpreting is really what are the elements of what we call remembering. And the retrieving and interpreting happen so quickly and are so integrated so as to make the difference between them essentially unnoticeable. And here's the interesting thing. Our rememberer is faulty. And there's several reasons for it. One of them is that when we store information, we have something called selective attention. So when we store, we're already storing with some biases. But when it comes to remembering, we are susceptible to errors. We are susceptible to inaccuracies. We are prone to wander from the truth of the event or the actual stored memory. We embellish. And so, uh, it's faulty. When a, as an example, when you think of God, what do you think of when you think of God? What, what is He like? What is God like? What is God's disposition towards human beings? What is His disposition toward you. What do you remember and what do you recall? This uh, morning, I am going to read a passage from Scripture that is quite popular. Uh, it's quite popular and um, it's from the uh, book of Luke, chapter 15. It's the section of chapter 15 that's referred to as the prodigal son. Now, as soon as I mention that, certain things start coming to mind. And, and I, we could spend time, if we were here together, I might ask some of you, some of these questions are less rhetorical then, because I would actually ask and get some responses. But what is it actually about? Because when you think of this section of Scripture, I'm sure the context of it has long been lost. But it does have a context. Let me read the context for the parable, which we can find in Luke 15, verses 1 and 2. Let me read this. Now, all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So what we have is Jesus is, is there and these tax collectors and air quote sinners are coming near to be with Jesus. You know, the 
the, the sinners, the reprobates, those people. Now, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the scribes, the lawyers, the social elite are, are just totally upset. They're, they're incensed. And they say so. Jesus can't possibly be God's anointed one, the Messiah. Because the Messiah, God's anointed one, the holy one, the one set apart, would not associate with these kind of people. That's what they're thinking. And they say, after all, the Lord knows we don't. And that is the context. When Jesus responds to their objections and their grumbling. And he tells three short stories in succession. He begins with uh, a sheep uh, that was in a herd that gets, wanders off and gets lost. Then he describes a, a valuable coin that is misplaced and it gets lost. And then finally, yes, he comes to this passage of Scripture that we're looking at this morning. And it becomes deeply personal, and it's relational, and it is about a father and two sons. That's the context. And so as I read this, and as we walk through and step through this, I invite you to listen to this with fresh ears. Consider what is really going on. What do you notice? Let's read together. And starting in verse 11, chapter 15, verse 11. Then Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of my property that will, be will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. Dad, I wish you were dead. That's essentially what young son is saying to his dad. I know that inheritance is really only distributed after you're dead, but that inheritance that is, I'm owed, I want it now, hand it over. And dad complies. Notice, dad complies. As heartbroken as he must have been, and he divides the property between his two sons. He divides and he gives the property to his younger son and the other portion to the older son. A few days later, continuing on in verse 13, a few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country. And there he squandered his property in desolate living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. So a few days after son's God is loot, he cashes it in. He leaves home and homeland, and he makes off. And he parties. And he essentially blows it all. 
And as his luck would have it, there's an economic downturn and a recession ensues. And he's hard-pressed to find any kind of work, and now he's desperate, and he finds himself by a door asking if someone is hiring, and the gentleman says yes, and sends him promptly out into a field, and now this Jewish man who cannot even avoid pork is feeding the pigs and would gladly eat with them if he was given the opportunity, and nobody's giving him any lift up. We continue. Verse 17. But when he came to himself, and uh, I want to just pause there for a second. I'm reading from the NRSV. And it's at this point, I prefer the NIV translation or even the NASB or ESV because in the NIV, the NIV particularly, what it says is, but when he came to his senses. And that more accurately describes what is actually going on here. When he came to his senses, when he was aware, when it, all of a sudden what he, he was smelling registered and what he was tasting registered and what he was seeing and hearing all registered and what he remembered When he came to his senses. And he says to himself, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare? But here I am dying of hunger. I will go up and go to my father. And I will say to him, like, Dad, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of the hired hands. So he sent off and went to his father. Westview, this is the turning point. This is the turning point for young son. He literally, after coming to a sentence, turns, senses, turns from what he is doing and where he is, and he turns back toward his father and the homeland and sets off. Turning point. In, in church lingo, uh, we use this word repentance. This is actually what repentance means. This is what it looks like. It actually means turning. Repentance doesn't mean I'm sorry. <laughs> like, I'm sorry I got caught. Repentance is turning. Metanoeo, turning. An honest assessment of the circumstance and a desire to change that circumstance and something significant and better in, from a spiritual perspective. And so he sets off But dad, verse 20, but while he was still afar off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. And he ran and he put his arms around him and he kissed him. 
Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet, and get the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. So dad has been looking out for his son regularly, keeping a watch, hoping that someday, someday, his son would have a change of heart. He would turn and he would come back. He would come back. He would come back. And on this day, he does. Dad can see him from afar off. He knows the walk. He knows the profile. And he does something shocking and outrageous. He hikes up his cloak and his robe, exposing his ankles, something that men of his caliber would never do in his day and age. And he goes running out to, to meet his son. Again, something completely shameful, something that a dignified man of his stature would not do. But he does. He lifts up his cloak and his robe and he runs out. And as he get, gets within earshot, his son starts confessing to him. But it's like dad is not even paying attention. Well, he's paying attention, but it's like he's not listening. Because while son is trying to say this, dad is already giving directions and orders to the hired hands who have come and begun to assemble as well. And he's giving them instructions as he's embracing his son who has come back. And as he's embracing him and he's pulling him off of the trail and he's drawing him back to the house. And he says, son, hey, everybody, there's going to be a feast. We're going to have a party. The end. No, not so fast. There's more. Because there's a context. Jesus continues. There is actually more. And we read, starting in verse 25. Now his elder son was in the field, and he came and he approached the house. He heard music and dancing. <laughs> when people approach your house, do they hear music and dancing? Well, his son heard music and dancing. He called one of his slaves and asked, what's going on? He replied, your brother has come home. And your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. Then the elder son became angry, and he refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him, but he answered his father, Listen, listen. For all these years, I have been working like a slave for you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never given me even a goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours comes back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. 
The elder son is irate. He is incensed. Dad is in the house with the music and the dancing and celebrating and having a feast. And he notices his elder son isn't. The son has gone down. The son has come in from the field. Where is he? So dad does what dad does. He goes out. Father goes out to look for and search for his elder son. And he finds him there. And he sees that he's upset. And he pleads with his son to come in and join the feast. But elder son is cheesed. I've, I've been perfect. I've never disobeyed ever. Really? You've never given me anything. Really? I deserve the party. I deserve. And he doesn't deserve. Zeke is even back then, even in first century, even in the ancient Near East, they were already conditioned by this worldview of earning and merit and trying out. And the elder son thought that that's what this relationship somehow was, that he had to earn it or that you had a certain merit or you do certain work. And he opts out and he doesn't go in. And who does it sound like? Who does that sound like? It sounds like the Pharisees and the scribes. Grumbling about Jesus being with the tax collectors and the sinners. But it's great news. Because... That's who was sitting, listening to Jesus tell these stories. And they knew they weren't earning a relationship with Jesus. They weren't earning. There was no merit in, in it at all. But they were hearing the good news. And Jesus finishes this by saying, 31 and 32, speaking as the Father. Then the Father said, Jesus says this, Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. And who is Jesus depicting God in this story? Who is the father? The father in this story is God. God is being depicted as this father, this running, dancing father. And that's the good news. And that is why we need to remember and take part in this uh, ritual, this ceremony of remembrance. Because we need to remember. And we need to remember rightly. We need to remember rightly what God is like. And we need to remember rightly what we humans are like. And we need to remember rightly how God sees us. We need to remember rightly. And there are times when we do wander like young son. And there are times when we are obstinate, consternatious like son too. 
And so then it is communion, this time of communion, when we come together, when really communion is when we come to our senses. Here's the interesting thing, friends. When we remember, when we recall and interpret and inscribe, the past is brought into the present. And so then, our memories shape our lives. But also remember, as we were talking about, when we remember, when we recall and interpret, we are also shaping those memories. And so communion is that time when we come to our senses and we allow the participation of this communion, the Lord's table, we allow this to shape our memory of who God is. And we see what God is like. We gain visibility into what God is like most profoundly at the cross of Jesus Christ. It is at the cross, the junction of intersection of God's love and human alienation and the scale and severity of it all. It is through the lens of Jesus Christ's death and resurrection that we gain our best understanding of what God is like and our human propensity, and our human need, but his disposition towards us. It is when we look to the cross. And so, if we do not take communion regularly, and if we are not allowing that lens to inform us, the danger is that we make an idol of God. We project our humanness onto him and we begin to think that God is like us. We make him in our image. Or we make an idol of ourselves, like elder son too, and we begin to say, uh, I've never made a mistake and I'm perfectly good. Or we even reach further and we mistakenly allow the world around us to shape our way of thinking that the relationship with God is meritorious, that you can earn it. And Friends, even today, whether you're trying out for a sports or you're auditioning for some arts thing, all of these things are conditioning us to a certain way. But that's not how it is in the relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. It's His grace and mercy alone. Not something we earn. The communion like Jesus points out through the parable, reveals humans' propensity towards alienation, uh, our propensity to wander, prone to wander, as um, uh, Robert Robinson, uh, in this song, Come Thou Found, Robert Robinson, who was a, a Methodist uh, minister who became a Baptist minister, and he comes by those, that phrase, prone to wander, uh, honestly, because he wandered early in his uh, young years and then in his later years as well. But that's really a key aspect of sin, is this aspect of alienation. This uh, aspect of wandering. And this wandering begins with wrong-headed remembering. When we skew what we understand God is like, or our relationship with Him. 
But God is like the running, dancing father, waiting, looking from the balcony of heaven. He is not an old, angry, white guy. He's not a hanging judge. He's not even a list-keeping curmudgeon. In fact, he loves and receives all who will be open by faith to accept his embrace. Communion demonstrates that it's actually rejection in reverse. God and Jesus Christ accepts the rejection and exalts humans so that we are accepted and we belong. So as we take communion this morning, I want to invite you to reflect for a moment. Recall and remember, as you consider these elements, what God is really like and his disposition towards you. And reflect on your actual dispositions towards the Lord. You already belong. He is the creator. Sometimes we need to just come back. Sometimes we need to return and soften our hearts. And come into the house where the feast is. And then friends, reflect on how we see other people. How do we see other people? Do we see them as the Lord sees? Are we willing to? Because at the feast, at the communion, at the Lord's table, it is the great leveler before the Lord. And it's therein we give great thanks for his mercy and grace. And we come with humility, knowing that we don't deserve or earn, knowing only that we desire to be forgiven and in relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we pledge. We pledge to open up space to be with other people, to listen to them, to attend to them, whether it's in the hallway at school, whether it's in the grocery store aisle, or whether it's at your place of work. Lord, help us to see other people the way you see other people. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's remember and remember rightly. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread. And after he gave thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And at this time, I'd like to ask Tyler to come to the platform and offer a prayer of thanksgiving for the bread. Let's play, pray, church. Jesus, we do remember.
as we have heard this morning, your body broken for the forgiveness of our sins, the cost you paid as our substitute. And so we remember. Help us never to forget that. Help us always to keep that at the forefront of our minds. The work that you have done, that you did and you will continue to do. So we thank you as we together in our homes partake of the bread this morning. Thank you, Jesus, for your body broken. And we pray this in your name. Amen. The body of Christ broken for you. Let's partake together. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and you drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Tyler, would you also offer a prayer of thanksgiving for the cup? Let's pray, church. Again, Jesus, we remember your blood poured out. That which cleanses us white as snow. We remember, Jesus, again, this forgiveness of sin, this new covenant, this new relationship, this opportunity for us to experience life, life in abundance, life to the fullest. A life found in you, Jesus, because of your life laid down for ours. And so again, we give thanks and we remember, and we pray this all in your powerful name. Amen. This is the blood of the new covenant poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. The blood of Christ shed for you. Let's partake together. church. Thanks for worshiping with us this morning. Let me just remind you of a few things again as we draw to a close this morning. First is that next Sunday we do begin summer service hours at 10 a.m. And next Sunday as well is our launch of our live stream. And so we look forward to joining together in our homes as we worship at 10 a.m. And we'll share more information about that in just the next couple of days. And then on the 20th of June, it will be the first of our Sundays back in this space as we resume our in-person worship gatherings. And we are so looking forward, so longing again uh, to see your faces in this space as we worship our Lord, as we remember his works together 
as the church. And so uh, we look forward to sharing more information about that as well in the next little bit. Church, let me bring our service to a close this morning with this. Let me declare this over you this morning. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with all of you. We'll see you next Sunday.